Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to another episode of the Rise Together podcast. Dave here. I am excited to have a conversation today with my friend, a producer, an author, an all-around amazing human being, Devon Franklin. We are talking in part about a book that he's just written called Live Free, uh, but really are diving into a conversation around this idea of freedom. What is freedom? The, the thing that I think many of us are in the hunt for, in search of, is the ability to be free. And in, in my definition of, and, and maybe yours as well, the idea of freedom is to be able to be truly who you are, who you were truly meant to be, unencumbered by self-doubt, unencumbered by social pressure, right? The, the things that society or your family of origin or that the people in your small group or the moms at PTA would suggest you have to be in order to get love, to be affirmed, to be seen as enough. Freedom is being truly who you are, unencumbered by self-doubt, believing in yourself, and being free from the worry of what other people think. In my next book, I, I was writing about this book that was written by someone who works in hospice care, a woman named Bronnie Ware. She wrote about her experiences with people who were nearing death in a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And the single most common regret that she heard expressed by those who were nearer to death than any of us hopefully are was that they wished that they'd had the courage to live a life that was true to themselves, not the life that others expected of them. Does that resonate at all? Goodness gracious. Uh, there was uh, this amazing commencement speech that Steve Jobs gave at Stanford some 20 plus years ago. He finishes the speech with these lines that I think dovetail so nicely into this conversation that we have today with Devon. Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Dogma, other people, like living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. I am excited for you to listen in for what ends up being a little more than an hour's worth of a conversation with my good friend, Devon Franklin. This idea of living free and finding a way to believe enough in yourself to stand in your truth and release yourself from the worry of what people might think for you becoming who you're placed on this earth to be. Enjoy this episode of Rise Together. Please welcome my friend, author, producer, and all-around amazing human being, Devon Franklin. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. 
This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise together. Oh, my brother, it's so good to see you. Good to see you too, man. You're looking great. I wish I could grow a beard like yours. It, it won't do it. I didn't know I could. Quarantine <laughs> brought out something in me I didn't know existed. <laughs> man, listen, I just want to dive in. You know, first and foremost, Dave, you know, you are a New York Times bestselling author. You're an influencer. You're an entrepreneur. How do you describe yourself? Well, in this last year where things have just gone completely not to plan, and yet I find myself not because of, but uh, in some ways because of all of the things that have happened, just living my very, very best life. I find myself asking this question every single day, how can I, in this day, the only day that I can control, take a step toward honoring the intention of my creator? And so mm-hmm. when I think about like, well, what do you do, man? What, like, what do you do? Well, I, I believe like anyone who's listening right now has been given a set of very specific gifts And our responsibility, the mandate that comes to whom much is given, much is expected, our responsibility is to try and honor the intention of that creator. And so I am every day trying to take steps into spaces where I have some fear, where I might not necessarily have Mm -hmm. a a ton of expertise just yet, where I believe that the gifts that I've been given can afford other people hope, maybe feeling a little bit less alone, some kind of connection in vulnerability and sharing struggle, the, the ability to storytelling in a way that maybe let somebody else see themselves in my story. So I have been writing books and doing a podcast that you have been on. I uh, just turned in my next book. I've been doing some coaching and, and, and I'm working you know, truly just in like, hey, is there, is there the possibility of sharing some of my own experience in a way that creates an empathy bridge that maybe lets you see some of what you uh, are feeling or experiencing in struggle or abundance in yeah. the things that I'm talking about that maybe makes us a little more like than dislike? Wow, man. I love it. I love it, man. You know, so so I want to hit on that point because you have, I mean, your courage to navigate the unexpected. I, I just admire. There's a lot of people, you know, this whole book is about living with expectations and releasing the ones that you don't need. And there's also a section near the end that talks about navigating the unexpected. You know, first of all, how do you do that? How do you navigate, you know, things in life that happen that you didn't plan for, that you didn't pray for? I mean, there's the Garth Brooks song, Unanswered Prayers. I, I, like, I really do believe that some of the most beautiful blessings in life come in the spaces that we did not ask for, that we didn't mm. hope for, in part because it pushes away, pushes us away from something that we've become maybe too comfortable or familiar with, something that requires us to find ourselves in now a context that's completely disconnected from anything that we've had any kind of familiarity with. Mm. I think there's a lot of us even though we don't like to admit this, that cling to suffering that we know because of its familiarity. And Mm. sometimes when life does something that you just didn't see coming, that you didn't expect, that you don't like, that you wouldn't have prayed for, it is the attempt to push you away from suffering that you know. And by the way, it doesn't mean that you're going to be put now into something that you are also familiar with or that you have comfort with. It's likely going to push you into something that's uncomfortable, but because of that discomfort, It'll draw you closer to God and test your faith. It'll draw you closer to a relationship and find you now closer to people that you need in your life. It'll push you to ask deeper, bigger, longer questions about who am I now that I'm not who I've been. And I think for any of us coming through this last year, 
so many things in identity have had who we were upended. And now we're all in this attempt to try and figure out what a new normal looks like, given a permission slip to answer the question in a way that is somewhat freer from mm -hmm. the way that we may have afforded the weight of other people's opinions or societal constructs, all the stuff you talk about in the book, to now say, you know, this is who I really am. This is who I truly am. This is the intention, that deliberate design that I was created with. This is who I actually am, and I want to pour into it. Wow. Now, 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 can you get to that deliberate design or that divine design for our life without the suffering, with, without the, the unexpected? Yeah. Well, so what's interesting is you came to my office at the Walt Disney Company as I was, right? Sometimes change chooses you and, and yeah. other times you choose change, right? Yeah. So yeah, at yeah. the time, I'm the head of sales at the Walt Disney Company. You and I had worked together in a few different capacities, but it was the first time we were sitting in my office together. And I was just about to step out I know. away I from this thing that. that I had really become familiar and comfortable with, putting movies into theaters for Lucas, Marvel, Pixar, and Disney is a great thing. And yet I felt this tug. I felt a, a call to leave my career for a calling. And in the decision to do so, thought, man, that's the hard choice, right? I made this choice. I had to face my bosses. I had to worry and push through the opinions of other people judging my decision to make this choice. Mm. Wait, wait, and wait, Dave, hold on, hold on. I wanted to interject, right? Just right in that second, because for those of you watching, you know, Dave Hollis was one of the top executives at Disney. He was the head of distribution. He completely, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, toot your home for horn for a minute. You know, this distribution model of, of releasing, you know, movies around the world. And when you look at, you know, the success of Marvel, it is directly related to Dave Hollis. He was the engineering executive that helped distribute, you know, all of the Thank Disney you. product, you know, around the world. So when you talk about, you know, the distribution movie, uh, business in the movie business, Dave Hollis is still to this day regarded as one of the top distribution executives ever. And at the peak of his career, he made the decision that he was going to quit and start this journey of uh, discovery of self, getting more into entrepreneurship. Um, and and uh, so I just wanna make sure they understand what you were giving up. We're talking about one of yeah. the biggest companies in entertainment, arguably the biggest, and one of the biggest companies in the world. He felt that there was a calling and decided to make a move and follow what he heard, even though he had no idea where it was gonna take him. Okay, so go ahead. So the question yeah. is, on this was path, very generous can you get there without you. suffering? No, I think generous of you, I appreciate it. And, the, and the, the lead up though to saying that is that anything that I am today, which is in the best mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, and relational health that I have been in, arguably in my entire adult life, is a byproduct of the hard things that I have gone through in the decision to leave something that was safe and familiar for the choppy waters that live beyond the harbor. My safe harbor was not producing growth. I decided to leave because I was looking for an opportunity to fully utilize the gifts that had been put inside but, but of me. Dave, and hold in on, that position- Dave, Hold on, Dave, hold on, Liv, hold on. I gotta talk to you for a minute. I'm trying to understand this. So, because I want somebody, to, I want someone to really catch what you're saying. What you were saying is, and again, I, I have no idea how much you made as an executive, but I'm assuming, including bonus, it was well into the seven figures. 
So you, 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 this, a seven figure salary working on the legendary Burbank lot, beautiful home nearby, but you were saying you were not growing. Some people think, oh, if I can just make the money, if I just get the position, if I just get the notoriety, that's the path. Why was that not the path for you? And how did you, how did you come to understand that you were not in, in a growth mode, so to speak? Well, part of it was the, the circumstance that I was surrounded in, the, the talent, the caliber of talent leading the organizations at Pixar, Mar Marvel, Lucas, and Disney were just so strong creatively. And the leadership, you've, I'm sure, worked with Bob and Alan, and I, there's just, there's some great people that are working there. So asking movie theaters if they would pay the price that I was suggesting a film were to cost for a Marvel movie like Avengers or a Star Wars movie, like, you know, any of them, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a terribly difficult task. And mm. when I realized I could get straight A grades without having to study for tests, I realized, oh, I, I stopped growing. And what I found is this unbelievable connection between growth and fulfillment. If you're not growing, you're dying. It's one or the other. If you're not growing, you're dying. And if you're in a mode where you're dying, slowly just kind of taking the march towards the end of your life, you will not feel a sense of fulfillment. And so my question was, can I understand where fulfillment may come from? Oh, I have to be in a posture to grow. And growth mm. for me was only ever going to take place if I was doing something that I couldn't do easily, that I couldn't do without the resistance to break down the muscle to build it back up stronger. And as I started in this journey of entrepreneurship, and then ultimately a first-time author, first-time podcast host, first-time coach. All of those experiences were wildly jarring relative to leading a team of 75 countries, thousands of people, best films, biggest year in the history of box office. But every single one of those, even if it triggered my insecurities and my imposter syndrome, my coping mechanisms, and all of it, all of those were things that I grew through not like in spite of, but because of those things that I become this person that I become. What's interesting though, is I think I also suffered from a little of what you talk about at the beginning of the book, this idea that I will be happy when, you know, when I get that title, when I am when I have this much amount in, the, in a bank account, when I live in a house that's, that has a, a fence this high, then, and I was blessed, man, there was so much favor on me. I was blessed to be able to actually achieve a lot of the things that I set as goals right. in a 20-year entertainment career. And I got to sit at some of those tables, and I got to have some of those titles, and I got to have fences that were taller on my house. And I kept wondering, well, do I, did, I, did I not check the right box? Like, did mm. I not submit the form in the right way? Mm. Because I should be feeling this thing and the disconnect was always having it be something that was going to happen when, when we only ever get to live right now. I, was, I, I had this conversation with Ben Rector, the musical artist. I, I interviewed him recently because his music has been profound in this last year. And he wrote this song called Peace. And the simplest line, peace is where you make it, has just been <laughs> nice. running on a loop in my head. This yeah. idea that we yeah. are all in control of manufacturing peace, but we cannot wait until some certain set of conditions are satisfied to believe that we will be able to actually have peace in our life. It's the same thing with freedom in the way that you articulate it. Mm. I mean, it's so, it's so rich what you're saying. I love this idea. If you're, if you're not growing, you're dying. 
And I also love what I love about, you know, your journey and what I love. And I appreciate you allowing me to highlight some moments and unpack it a bit because, yeah. you know, I understand. Right. So because I was an executive at, at uh, Columbia Pictures and, you know, was there for 10 years and, uh, you know, felt a similar call. Like, wait a minute. You know, I'm working on the biggest movies. I'm working with the biggest movie stars. My movies are profitable. But there's something in me that says this is not all that there is. And I never forget, you know, being in those uh, weekend read meetings and sitting around the table and hearing all the other executives talk. And, and at one point, I realized, this is years before I, I had the, uh, you know, the ability and the cachet to lead. But I sat around the table and as they were talking and they were really getting worked up over something that I thought was pretty trivial. And in my mind, I said, oh, I'm not them. This is not me. I'm, I'm here, but I'm passing through. At that time, I didn't yeah. know when I was going to be able to make the move. But I said, you know what? I cannot treat this job like it's my life because no disrespect to them. You know, hey, God bless them. It's not about them. It's about what was going on in me. And I know what it's like to be in those, you know, entertainment environments. And there's something in your spirit that says there's something more. There's something more, you know, yeah. but people on the outside, man, are like, what are you talking about? you got the best job in the world. You're traveling, you know, you're traveling the world and making movies in Beijing and, and going to premieres in London and making movies with Will Smith and all that. But there was something on the inside that said, mm -mm, I got to I got to go. So here's what I want, want to know is that when you started to hear that calling and you started to come into awareness that you were not growing. How did that take shape? Meaning, oh. were, were you becoming depressed? Were you becoming uh, short-tempered? Like, yeah. give me the understanding of, of what was going on when you were having that tension before you made the Yeah, I'm going I'm to describe something, and I'm just going to up front say there is privilege in what I'm going to say. I want to be respectful to anyone who's any, had any job insecurity because, man, if I heard this and I was in a place where I didn't have a job, I would punch me in the face. But <laughs> that's all right. It's your truth. We just talked about your truth. I, the lowest point of my professional career at the it's 20 or so years inside of entertainment. I worked at Fox and a variety of different places before I worked at Disney for 17 years. I was handed a, an employment contract, an extension to a deal that would guarantee me a salary that was significant for four more years. I can remember what day it was. It was in March. It was in March four years ago. And I took it home. It was a thing that I had uh, certainty for me was a driving factor and force in my life as a practical, pragmatic person. I had always looked for how I could engineer conditions that I felt like I could predict that in some ways would be about me as a provider for my family, having served my role in that, in that form. And here, the decision to sign four more years of a, of, a, of a contract with this company who was amazing in so many ways as I'm sitting at the table with other people who are in love with this work in a way that I am not in love with, who mm -hmm. are looking forward to those early screenings of movies that are not yet great in a way that I was not looking in any way forward to. And I signed the deal. So I signed a four-year contract in March, four years ago, and it, took me to a dark place because I felt like in a world where I didn't have to work very hard to get the job done as well as arguably anybody had ever because of the leverage that existed inside the company at the time, I was really, I got, I got dark and I didn't want to deal with those feelings. So I started, my coping mechanism was drinking and have a couple drinks at night that turned into a couple more drinks at night. 
I wasn't as present as a father. I am at four kids. And so being a present dad is the number one most important thing in my life. And at that window of time, it just was not, man, it was not great. Mm. And in some ways I was like digging a ditch myself. So there was some self-inflictedness to the way that I felt stuck. I happened at the time, I'm 46 now, to have just crested that 30s to 40s transition. And so I was asking these bigger existential questions of why am I here? God, why have you given me these gifts? Why have I been afforded so much abundance in a way that does not require me to use many of them? I don't mm. understand this. Why am I not actually having impact? Yes, movies are amazing and they have impact, but I wanted to personally have impact that would be a reflection of his favor. And I didn't feel it, right? Mm. So I'm sitting out back with my kids. We're doing this thing that we do each night, the three, old, the three boys, where they get to ask me literally any question. And my middle son, who's uh, nine at the time, asks, what is your greatest fear? Mm. I didn't think about it. It was just the first thing that came to my mind. And I said, not living up to my potential. Mm. And I realized as it comes out of my mouth, I've now like spoken into the universe, this reality that I am living inside of in a way that while I'm stuck, probably had a beer sitting next to me at the jacuzzi as we're sitting there having this conversation that I am like, holy cow, I have just told my three boys the greatest fear that I have in life. And it happens to also be a thing that I am in real time living out and at this point, it's maybe two months into this four-year contract. And I only have three years and 10 months left to stay in this state. And the question then was, well, what are you going to do about it? Mm. And so I end up with my then wife. We go on a trip looking at what it might look like to live in a different city. And Austin, Texas, where I live now, happened to be a place where it felt like God was ordaining a handful of things. We'd been foster parents four times. And we were asked to be on the board of a foster care charity here in town. An author who'd written a book that started us on our adoption journey, happened to have dinner with us, just a whole bunch of stuff. And we ended up coming to the house that I'm sitting in in real time. And I was like, I don't know. We'll figure out the financing. We'll figure out how I have a conversation with the leadership of the Walt Disney Company because I am two years into a four-year contract. Mm. But, but we need to create... Uh, can't turn back leverage so that I can save my life. And so we put an offer in on this house. And I sat with that for then what ended up being about four months of time. I went into my office the beginning of 2018. And I let, you know, I had a very, very generous conversations with Bob Iger and, and Alan mm -hmm. and a handful of other people. And they did not completely understand my mind. And I, in some ways, pled insanity like look guys I, you, like, I, I have to go do this I'm listening to a call that I'm sure is confusing but I, I need you to be supportive of this so I can show up as the kind of dad I want to be and the man I want to be and grow into who I'd hope to become in a journey that's going to be completely separated from a corporate track and path that I'm sure could have had plenty of amazing mm -hmm. things happening at the Walt Disney Company but would not allow me the kind of freedom that exists yeah. outside of here. What's interesting is, I, I'm going to stop talking in two seconds. When no, you're I, not. <laughs> when, I think about, when I think about freedom, like, what is, Dave, what is your definition of freedom, right? Freedom is the ability to be truly who you are, unencumbered by self-doubt or social pressure. There it is. Freedom is being who there you are, is. unencumbered by self-doubt or social pressure. And the reality is, I can see with 100% clarity that... I 
spent two years longer than I should have mm. inside of that job, which was an amazing job. I, I like, how dare you, Dave, play the smallest violin in the world, complain about this job. And yet it was killing me. Mm. It was it was it was absolutely 100 percent. Are you growing? Are you dying? I was dying. And so what I can see now is the decision to stay inside of that work environment, as good as it was, was about my worry of my capacity, capability, my, my ability to do something that was new and different outside right. of my comfort zone, self-doubt, and the worry of what everyone else would think of me for doing something that was deviating from the way that they had defined what good ends up being. What, you're a good man. You want to be a real man, a good man. You're going to earn like this. You're going to grow like this. You're going to have this kind of title. And I had to walk into people who everything that they valued was living inside of a box that I was suggesting I needed to live outside of. And mm. the worry of what they would think of me for suggesting yes. that I have a different sense of what that value of that box is kept me in that job for two years longer. Some of y'all are living inside of suffering that you know because of either you don't believe that you can survive, thrive, grow, and have abundance outside of what you already know, or you're worried about what other people are going to think of you for deciding to become free. And yet, even though it ain't easy, because it is not easy, it has been the hardest three years of my entire life, I am the best I have ever been literally in my entire life because of the freedom mm. that came in letting go of what anyone else was thinking and believing in myself. Wow. Wow. What I, I mean, I, there's so much in what you're saying that <laughs> I love, bro. Like, seriously, what I love is, and this is why I was so excited to talk with you, because you, you personify the live free journey. You personify, you know, I talk about in the book that when it, Wait, hold on. Uh, still in the game. My buddy still in the game had a question. He says this, and I'm going to come back to what I was saying. Uh, my buddy, uh, he says this, did you ever think about going back to the very thing that was killing you, Disney, if slash when your new journey wasn't going the way you thought? What's interesting is I have such respect for the company. I have so many great relationships. And I have even, I had this opportunity to be an expert witness in a court case involving a movie theater. So I've been re -immer like immersed just for a little taste. Uh, done a few things with the Academy, just a little taste. And the beauty in that taste is that it is so nice to be welcomed back into that space and is equally beautiful to be affirmed that, nope, this is not a thing that is a part of my life any longer. It was such a beautiful, amazing chapter. And I do not, I have not one time been like, oh, I want to go back there. There have been times yeah. where I was living inside of scarcity where I thought, mm -hmm. oh man, what did I do? How am I gonna provide for my family now that the guarantee of that contract or the guarantee of the release slate from Marvel, Pixar, Lucas, and Disney isn't a thing I can count on. The beginning of an entrepreneurial journey was bananas. And even like in this last year, right? My marriage has now gone from, hey, I'm a husband to not a husband uh, of Rachel any longer. And that transition has once again, had me sitting looking at now a blank piece of paper asking these questions of, well, what does my future look like now that it doesn't look like what I thought it might? And the, 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 the nervousness and the anxiety and the, the you know, insecurity of, do I have what it takes? Can I do it on my own? Of course it rears its head. But that doesn't mean I want to go back to the suffering that I knew. It's like, no, man, you get to choose your own adventure in how you want to try and deploy these gifts that you have been afforded come back every single day to 
What is the deliberate design, that intentional intention of our creator? And how yes. can I honor it every single day? That's what I'm trying to do. And I'm going to figure it out as I go. Man, dude, I mean, are we all figuring it out as, as we go? Yeah. Um, but okay. And my buddy still in the game said that's real. So he said, thank you. I want to, I want to ask that question and I'll come back to what I was saying about live free in a minute, but how do you, the expectation of, of Dave and Rachel, Rachel Hollis was so strong and everyone brought their association to, to what that meant. How have you begun to chart a course of freedom and, and rebirth? And how do you navigate the expectation that that identity still may put on you. How do you deal with that? My son is asking if they can have s'mores in a window that you can't see off to the side. <laughs> it is very distracting. And I am saying, yes, go to town. I mean, Don't burn for the love of all buddy. things. Holy <laughs> though. The first thing I had to do was manufacture the imagination that I had ceded to someone else. Right? Like I was... In, a, in, in, a, in the work that I've just turned in for my next book, there's a lot of sailing analogies. I left a harbor that I knew of the Walt Disney Company to start sailing on a journey of what I believed to be this future of where I wanted to go. And my, my mission was impact. And the map that I sailed off of was hers. And there was, wow. by the way, there was a lot of work that we were planning to do. And there was a lot of impact that was planned to have. And as we were a year into that journey, I realized, oh, this is not, this is not my, this isn't my imagination. These aren't my dreams as much right. as I want to be a supporter and, and doing anything I can to be supporter. It was, it was very hard for me to come to grips with, oh, wow, you may in fact actually, Dave, also have dreams of your own. God may have himself, herself, in fact, had deliberate design that was a departure from Disney, but not this path that you're taking. And when the conversation about divorce came up about a year ago, it was, I, I didn't, I truly just, it wasn't a thing I was expecting. It, in, in having surprised me, made me have to really grapple with, well, shoot, how now do I create Right. An imagination for a future when I thought I would be married forever, be part of this company forever, all these things. The first thing, though, that you have to do to be able to have an imagination is to confront the fears that actually keep you from having an ability mm. to dream in the first place. Yes. And of course, like of all the stinking things that happened to be the week we had this conversation, Rachel has a podcast where she'd had a conversation with Liz Gilbert. Mm -hmm. And Liz talked about having your fear write a letter to you. Oh, hello, Dave. I'm your fear. Let me tell you what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, how I'm with all of it. And I made a list of the 46 things. It turns out a lot of fear was existing inside of my being. 46 things, 46 things that I was afraid of that was standing in the way of my ability to create as epic a vision for this imagination for where I was heading in the future as I'm staring at a blank piece of paper. The first thing was, great, identify your fears. Once I had the fears down, I could kind of separate, all right, is this, you know, you've heard it, false evidence appearing real, mm -hmm. or is this real, is this real stuff? <laughs> and it was about 80-20, right? 80% of the stuff was just BS. It just wasn't real. And 20% of the stuff was, these are real things. You ought to actually have fear for them. And the thing that you can do to move forward through them is develop a plan. 
right? These things can happen. How do you want to arm yourself with what you're going to need to face these fears so that you can walk through them? Mm. And so that was the first step was just like, where's the fear? What's real? What's not? Of the things that are real, how can I develop a plan? Then I had to cast a vision for like where I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. But what I found because of just how disruptive things felt like they were, the pandemic is happening. It, 2020 that we collectively experienced obviously is happening and it was a, a, a dumpster fire. Yeah. I found that like casting too far away a vision made it difficult for me when I felt like I was being brought to my knees to wow. actually keep moving forward. So I mm. asked a different question. My question was, what do I need in this season? What do I need in this season for my mental, emotional, physical, relational, and spiritual health? And I made a list of just three things for the next 30 to 60 days that I need to get through the next 30 to 60 days. And so for like, for my, for my mental health, I knew I needed professional freaking help, right? Like I'm going to commit to how am I going to see a therapist on a regular basis for my emotional health? I needed to understand why I was feeling what I was feeling because I was processing a lot of feelings and a lot of thoughts. And we touch on some of this in, in the book, but like a book like Untethered Soul or a book like Power of Now, yeah. right? Okay, both of these books, if you haven't read them, I just, I can't recommend them enough, especially if you're going through a hard time. But Untethered Soul for me was like arguably the most important book I could have read at the beginning of a journey. Wow. In that appreciating that I was not my feelings, that I was not my thoughts, but the observer of my feelings or the observer of my thoughts was the ability for me to actually keep moving forward and welcome those thoughts or feelings into a conversation right. so I could understand what they were and in understanding what they were trying to play as roles in my life, maybe use that intel to move forward with my, with my plan, you know? So anyway, I made a list of like, what do I need in this season? And that instead of like a long-term goal, like, I, yeah, I made a vision of like, who do I hope to be five years from now? Sure. But really, I'm thinking, I, I'm just like, I brought the window a lot shorter. Who do I, who do I want to make sure mm. that I, what do I need between now and the next two months or three months worth of time to stay on the trajectory of reaching this mm. version of who I want to become? All right. Last thing that I asked, this is a very long answer. Fun. No, it's not. It's great. great. The last thing I asked, every single day. And this is, I'm going to encourage every person to ask this question. And that is, how do I feel about myself when I'm by myself? Mm. How do you feel about yourself when you're by yourself? It's just arguably one of the most important things you can ask. And what I found uh, is like there, there was, it was, it was always all over the board, right? There were some days where I felt great. Some days I right. didn't feel great. And I wanted to try and isolate. Why don't I feel great about myself on certain days when I'm by myself? Mm. And this is, I had to like reverse engineer. I went out in the middle of the desert in Tucson, three days, no tech. And I sat with a journal and just wrote for three okay. days and it was magic. And as I'm sitting there writing, I, I asked this question, when in the last five years did you not feel great about yourself when you were by yourself? Mm. Is there anything that has been consistently present as a variable when you haven't felt great, that maybe if you can identify it, can have you engineering a version of how you show up so that you always feel great about yourself while you're by yourself. And it turned out there was. Mm. Every single time when I went into a funk, when I felt stuck, when I had confidence problems or shame, every single time it was this. 
I can only control one thing, and that is how I show up today. And I know, like you and anyone who's listening, know, you know the things that you'd have to do today to stay on the path of who you'd hope to become or who you'd have to be today to honor the intention of a creator that deliberately designed you to show up that way. Mm. And when I could create integrity between who I know I'd have to be, the kind of discipline, the routine, the habits, the coping mechanisms, right? Used to lean on alcohol, don't drink anymore, didn't actually move my body a ton, move all the time, didn't have regular conversations with a therapist, sitting with my guy David every single Thursday, right? Wow. When, when you know that you're creating the kind of consistency in a way that creates integrity, you feel great about yourself. But when you don't completely show up, when you don't have your habits in check, when you haven't set the routine, when you haven't been present in relationships, when mm. you are pushing God away instead of trying to bring him closer, well, now you've created dissonance. Mm. And this dissonance, right? This is how you could have shown up. This is how you did. This space right here is where shame and uh, compromised confidence on, and mm. embarrassment and self-doubt thrive. That is mm. where it lives. And your job every day is to just try and close that gap to create some congruence, some integrity between who you know you'd have to be to become the person you're meant to become on this, the only day that you can control. Wow. Absolutely, Troy. <laughs> and I got a, And I got a matcha bar hustle. <laughs> <laughs> Bro. Um, I love this, you know, and I, and I talk about, you know, I use a different analogy to get across a similar point, which is what would you do if you get to the end of your life? And God says, you know, this is what I wanted to do with you, but this is all I could do because, you know, you weren't willing to, to live according to the divine design for your life and, and pursue that freedom and become who I wanted you to be, as God was saying. And, and for me, I personally could not live with that dissonance. So I have had to continue to make choices to honor who I believe God is calling me to be. One thing that came up as you were speaking, and I want to ask you this, as you go through the process of, of you know, the journaling and the rebuilding and, and the imagination coming back to life, the imagination for your life, your life, where's the, 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 where do you want to chart your course? As that starts to come back to life, right? So let's go back to the analogy from your new book. How do you deal with the sadness when you know you are sailing away from a shore that you will never return to again. Well, one of the lines of the book is that you can't reach the other side of the ocean without losing sight of the, of the shore. Right? And so part of it is appreciating that if you are in a posture where growth and fulfillment are intertwined, where you're listening to a call, whether it's intuition, the universe, or God's voice itself, like if you want to follow that and leave something that's familiar, comfortable, suffering that you know, that you cannot get to the other side. You cannot get one step closer to self-actualization or full utilization of potential unless you are willing to let go of and move away from the shore that you're leaving. Does it make it easy? No. Do I still get sad? Man, I had like a Cal Ripken-esque streak of crying in this year. So I, like, I, I, it doesn't mean that it's not sad. Yeah. But what I've actually tried to do, and it comes a little bit back to some of the therapy I've been doing is all about self, like really <laughs> trying to understand that like, I am self and I am making a relationship with parts who believe themselves to be playing roles in my life. And sadness 
actually plays a role in my life that mm. sadness believes to be serving me. Right? Mm. Like sadness doesn't know that it's sad. Sadness as a part inside of my psyche is just something that is showing up because it believes that it is serving a very, very specific purpose. So the role that I have to play in self is asking sadness, inviting it to the table, naming it sometimes, and having a conversation, understand what role do you think you are playing here? Yeah, it, it, someone just said, that's a Disney movie. Yeah, it, like it, there's, <laughs> there is a little bit of inside out and even soul in some of like this kind of a conversation. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'll give you a really specific example. Anxiety is something that I've felt more than sadness. I have I've felt oh. waves of sadness, mm. but anxiety, like what might happen, right. is something that I've definitely spent a little bit more time with. Sure. And what I've had to do with anxiety as a, for example, I've named it. My anxiety's name is Clark. Why? Clark. I don't know. Just go with it. I got a, I got anxiety. I say, hello, Clark. I want to make sure that I can, in my head, say, I am not anxious. I am the witness to my anxiety presenting itself. And now, <laughs> I love it. I love right? it. Clark has, Clark has shown up. Clark, why are you here, man? What? What like what's wrong now? And the thing is, Clark doesn't think that there's anything wrong. Clark believes himself to be playing a role. Mm. Okay, so Clark, what 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 brings you here? And now I get to sit in a conversation to understand what role Clark believes himself to be playing inside of this dynamic between self and part. Yes. And usually, what I am actually like meant to get out of a conversation with my anxiety is, oh hey. There is still some ambiguity that exists in this part of your life. And right. I believe that the role that I am playing is to draw your attention to this specific part of your life, such that if you were to put a plan in place in this little area, I will have served the role that I was meant to play. Wow. And you would be able to move forward in your life in a way that has you not having to fret about what might happen. And I'm like, oh man, am I reframing my relationship with anxiety in a way that actually has me having some gratitude for it having presented itself? I won't go that far, but it definitely has changed from what has, and look, if, like this is not clinical anxiety or clinical depression. I'm talking about like yeah. situational anxiety pops up, right? Right. And, if, and when it does, I'm like, okay, right? Is there a way for me to reframe this is there some kind of trail of breadcrumbs mm. that it's trying to draw me to? Is this something that I might be able to learn from or apply a plan, uh, some kind of planning to that would make this better? It's like, all right, let's go, Clark. Mm. Now go away. You know, like, and good news is as soon as you address it, Clark goes, goes away. Now, by mm. the way, it's like if you can think of that mm. for any of your emotions, right? Okay. What role do you believe yourself to be playing? Anger, mm. insecurity, jealousy, sadness, any of them. And if you can create that kind of a dynamic, it doesn't mean that it's easy necessarily, but maybe there's a way in that relationship to create something of an empathy bridge with right. your emotions that say you are seen. Yeah. I want to understand why you're here. I respect that you believe yourself to be playing a role in my life. Mm. We're going this way. I'm bringing you with can, yeah, it's called internal family system. Something someone just uh, mentioned the actual like clinical name of this oh, nice. of therapy I'm doing, and it's just forget it. It's so good. Internal family system. So that's an actual clinical process to be able to do what you're saying, like name your different emotions to be able to navigate them more successfully. 
Yeah, I mean, like in in like the simplest form, self is the sun. Okay, so I am the sun, and there are parts that sometimes show up as clouds that are there, believing themselves to play a role. I started the therapy because I could, I didn't know who I was. Right, Mm -hmm. my primary identity had been husband. And now that I was no longer husband and the work that I was going to do was going to change, I didn't like, now that I'm not who I was, who am I? Right. right? And so I started the conversation and he said, well, sometimes there are so many parts because there are so many feelings and those feelings are trying to tell us something that we forget that the sun exists. Mm. The sun's always there behind the clouds. And the role that we have to play as self is to remind ourselves that, of course, we're there, but also create a relationship with the clouds so that they never block out the sun for such a long period of time that we lose mm-hmm. ourselves wow. or who we are. I know it, it sounds a little bit deep, but no, but it's, it's also it's very good. I, it's, I got yeah, it. it's very it's also very like inner child, right? Like they're, they're, the things that I am triggered by so often go back to an experience that happened with my family of origin, with something in Sunday school as a kid, with something that I, when I got an award and it became that, that similar to you, right? I got awards, so I'm an achiever. I'm going to achieve my way into making sure that I am worthy and enough and loved. And then if I don't achieve, it played this trick that, oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not enough. I'm not yeah. loved. And so, but so many of the things that I am triggered by, the parts that exist inside of me, go back to, you know, 40 years ago. And so just understanding, like, why do you believe, whatever the part is, why do you believe that this is a role that you're meant to play? I give you credit. Thank you for believing that this is a role that you're meant to play. But who taught you that that was the role that you were supposed to play? Mm. Right. So many of the things, like when you talk about freedom, like one of the things that I had to go to in the beginning of that, like, imagination session, now that I've confronted the fear, I'm asking what I need in this season, I'm doing the work every day to try and create integrity between who I know I can be. One of the things that I had to do when I started to kind of like feel the headwind resistance of taking steps was ask, which stories am I believing that don't serve the destination that I'm heading to? Who are the authors of these stories? Do they have credibility on the journey that I'm about to take? And why am I affording them weight? Right. And so I think for any of us, the, the desire to keep people happy or not make them uncomfortable. If you're going to grow, you are going to make the people who have been accustomed to you being a certain way uncomfortable. That's it's, just the way it goes. Just, I talk about it in the book. That's just I know you the do. way yeah. it goes. Yeah. And, and, and at the end of the day, you know, at some point, either we're going to live with the discomfort or they're going to live with the discomfort. Yeah. And, at the, and, and so often we don't live free and we don't listen and we don't pursue what we're hearing and we don't do this type of work because we don't want to disappoint and we don't want to create discomfort and we want to keep pleasing and we don't want to rock the boat. But at the end of the day, we end up sailing to a de- destination that we never wanted to go. And it's not really you know, where our internal compass is, is, calling, us, is calling us to be. And I love what you're saying because... Man, when I think about that image of you being in the desert for three days and and grappling and wrestling, I mean, who am I? But I just applaud your courage, man. I mean, your courage to to go rebuild because, man, listen, a lot of people wouldn't have done it. They wouldn't have done it. And here's the thing. They wouldn't have done it and come out on the other side of it 
and then be able to help others do it themselves. A lot of people thank, wouldn't well, have done it. Well, thank you. I, I, I'll tell you this. I, I, wrote, I wrote about this in the book I just turned in. I'm driving to the airport to go to the desert, and an Avicii song comes on. And I've been running a ton processing emotions and Avicii's just got some music that can make you cry at almost like it, it just, it, it's weird. <laughs> right. so I'm driving to the airport and this Avicii song comes on and I start sobbing. I mean, just like, I, I'm like, what, what is going on? Like, this is not a normal reaction to this music. What is going on? And one of the first things I wrote about when I got out on this desert rock, middle of nowhere journal, I wrote about that my feeling coming out to the desert was that I was going to try and find myself and that there wouldn't be anything to find. Mm. That Whoa. I that there must just be something inherently off in me that when I was asked a question about what I personally, like, wh what are your hobbies? What do you like to do? Like, I, I'd, I'd become so, and in a way that I thought was good, but I can see now was not necessarily healthy, um, there was some codependence in my relationships, not just mm -hmm. in my marriage, but in all relationships that mm -hmm. had me using one of my superpowers, which is I can morph into whoever anyone wants me to be in a room. It's why I was, I think, skilled at negotiating big deals mm -hmm. for the Walt Disney Company. Um, it's why I think I you know, do pretty well in most situations that have me sitting in a boardroom. But that superpower is also my greatest weakness because mm -hmm. I have morphed so often into who I thought other people needed me to be that I didn't know who I wanted to be or needed to be. And so here I am driving to the airport, trying to not crash my car as I'm sobbing, worried that I'm going to get to the desert, looking for who I am and not, and, and might just find that, oh no, you're, you're broken. You're, you don't actually have something that is, you know, like inherently different about you. And Good news is like, you got to push past the worry or fear that like, you're not going to find something when you go on the mission, you're going to find something. And the thing is, I, like, there were certain parts of what I found that I didn't, even, that I didn't like. Mm. And you might not like some of the ingredients necessarily that come out of <laughs> right. who, the, like the way that you need to show up to become the person you're meant to be. And now you get a choice, right? Now you can choose to stay inside of that suffering that you know, or can choose to do things that will make you uncomfortable to produce the kind of growth that will have you actually feeling a sense of fulfillment. And you're not going to like every single thing on that list. Right. And yet that's the, that's the recipe. Just because you don't like to put certain things in the cookie mix, you know, like you got to put it in or the cookies don't come out. Right. <laughs> and so this is, this is a little bit of like what ends up happening when you go and have a conversation with yourself for three days. I, I will say this, if you've never journaled before, Mm -hmm. This is a really interesting thing because I've never been a journaler. The first 20 minutes of writing without an agenda on a lined piece of paper is a lot of conscious thought. It's just right. stuff that's sitting in your consciousness, your to-do list, things that are, you know, like bothering you or that you have to, oh, remember to do that. Right, but right. at about the 20-minute mark, I, found, I find that all of a sudden there's stuff that starts seeping in from the unconscious and you're like, what was that? And I, for wow. me anyway... At about that 20 minutes, I mean, like 45 minute mark, became both the therapist and the patient. And mm. I was able, in my unconscious thoughts coming up, able to see, oh, goodness gracious, this is a thing. Why I don't think people tend to get as much out of journaling is that there's impatience. You want to yeah. be able to just write down Absolutely. all the good stuff at the beginning. And the good stuff doesn't come until you get past the conscious thoughts that are going to come out at the, at the top. So I would mm -hmm. encourage anyone, if if you can settle, set aside the time 
one, if you could set aside time to just, you know, I had to delete social media from my phone, had an assistant in the office, actually change every password because I know myself well enough and <laughs> was at a place where they didn't allow you to walk around with your phones out. And so um, there wasn't technology distracting. We just, we don't get clear. We don't get calm. We don't get still often enough and I can't encourage it enough. But also then when you're in that still space, yeah, praying and meditating and being just like one with nature, those are amazing things. But if you can actually be disciplined enough to try a couple of times, it probably won't even work great the first time, a couple of times to write for 45 minutes, mm. it will blow your mind. Yes. Yes. Was there I'm, a question? I, I mean, like, I feel like I just, I, I've not stopped talking, man. Dude, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We're going to call you Bishop Hollis, man. <laughs> Come on. Dude, this is incredible. Yeah, I know you, this, you are doing everything that we need right now. The comments are going crazy. I'm being blessed. I'm just listening like, whoa, you are blessing me tonight. I just feel like we're having a conversation. I'm glad everybody can listen, but we're Real having quick, a conversation. Real quick, if you like this live, do us one favor. You got to buy this book, though. We are here supporting a book for our guy. Come on. Devon wrote a book. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Listen, we're almost at the hour mark, and I am very, very much. People are already asking, can this be a two-hour live? No, not tonight. Dave has kids. He has responsibilities. We'll come back. We'll do it again. We'll this do is it the again. best I'm hour of the day, man. I'm very mindful of your time. What I, I appreciate so much about what you're saying and the transparency in which you're sharing it is that the, where you are now, you know, this is what, this is why I'm doing this message. This is why I'm so committed to it. Because, you know, similar to you, you know, those periods when, you know, you're living a different life and there's something in you that says, this isn't quite right, but in order for me to change it, you know, I'm going to have to disrupt everything that I know, you know, and go into the unknown and continue to pursue the unknown, right? It's not like, you make the decision that, oh, I'm going to get free. And then I'm free and then everything. Oh, not at all. <laughs> it's like, you got you to gotta make the commitment to stay free. And that staying free is so, it's so hard at times because everything that we know about ourselves and our life is, is completely either being destroyed or reconstructed or God is trying to say, hey, there's another way I need you to do this. So what I love about this, this live, what you're sharing is that this is what freedom looks like. This is what freedom looks like. This is what, you know, when someone is saying, hey, why, why should I get free? I want anyone watching this right now. You should get free. Listen to how Dave is talking about his journey and his ability to articulate how to navigate freedom is the reason why you got to get free. Because there's a better life. There's a more fulfilling life. There's a more peaceful life. There's a more dynamic life waiting for you. When you make the decision to live free, and I talk about this in the book, that living free means we're not under the mental, emotional, or physical control of anyone or anything. So, Dave, one last question before we leave. And I want to ask something very specific, a little bit different than what we talked about. You have successfully run a company where hundreds of people over, over reported to you, and you've now run an entrepreneurial venture where you, know, you have people all around the world reporting to you. Different question, because as much as you are... A, a spiritual guru and an influencer. You are also an incredibly astute businessman. Tell me, when someone is working for you, how do you determine who you want to promote 
and who you just continue to employ. Because I talk about this in the professional section, mm. that there are differences between those that end up getting promoted and those that just keep their job. What do you look for in people that work for you? And what do you see when you're like, ooh, when as soon as I have an opportunity, I'm going to promote that person? It's, it's interesting because the answer to this is a similar answer that I would give if someone's like, I can't figure out what my purpose is or what my mm -hmm. why is because I think that there is some similarities in those people that have connected to unlocking their reason for being on this planet, their why, their calling, their mission, living to honor the intention of their creator. Those are the people that I'm like, yep, I'm going to pour gas on this. Mm. So they have three, three big things. The first thing is they have passion. Right. They yes. have just passion <laughs> for the work. They are passionate. And if you if you right now are doing something inside of your vocation and you're like, I don't, I'm not passionate, then you need to get a new job. Period. You need to start looking right now because life is too short. You need to get and you're like, well, I don't even know what I'm passionate about. Start looking at where you have curiosity and just keep mm. pulling on threads. Just keep pulling on threads, keep pulling on threads, playing a whole bunch of different spaces, pull on threads, and you will see something that comes up that you're like, oh my goodness, I am passionate about this. I would do this work for free, but I'm still making pay, make, make them pay me. So the first <laughs> thing you've got to, right, you gotta, you gotta be passionate. The second thing is you gotta have skill, right? Like you have to Come actually on. have developed some mastery around whatever it is that you're being asked to do. Doesn't mean that you have to have a depth of mastery on like the specific, specific thing, unless you're in some, like, you know, if you're a doctor, you need to be, you have to have mastery in whatever you are actually practicing. But I had plenty of times where I had de developed some mastery in adjacent businesses that yeah. could be applied to a business that I was not getting like, a person who developed any kind of mastery inside of. Sure. And so, uh, but, but, but showing that you have an ability to learn, mm. to grow, to take whatever kind of shifting, you know, like we're not, no one's going to be working inside of a static work environment where things just stay the same. Right. So someone who has developed some skills in handling whatever ends up coming down the road. So you got to have passion and you got to have competency, skill, something that you can develop a little bit of mastery around. And then the third thing I look for is someone who has an eye towards impact. Mm. Right. You, nice. if, if you are doing, even if you are doing work where you have passion and you're really, really great at it and you can make some money at it, you will not have a depth of fulfillment if it does not impact other human beings, period. So if you are working <laughs> right. currently inside of something vocationally that does not impact other people, you will be forever on the hunt for something that can make you feel at a mm. deep level. You might feel intermittent things like, oh man, that was so great. Sheila was having a baby. We had a baby shower for her and it was fantastic. Like, that was great. That's a short-term dopamine hit of feeling good. If you want to feel good on the regular, you got to find a way to actually have impact as a part of what you're doing. Now, not every single vocation necessarily is about life change. Sure. So you've got to be able to find a way to connect the thing that you're doing to delivering value, delivering service, answering a need, filling a gap, whatever it might be, because the way that you stay connected to it, the way that you can connect to and have, again, this empathy bridge between right. your end user and the work that you're doing. Now you, you look at a Venn diagram, you see someone who's got the passion, they've got the mastery, they've got the impact, it starts to line up. That's a person I want to pour into because they're going to show up on fire, they're going to deliver some results, and they're going to do it 
for the benefit of the intended recipient of that product or, or skill or whatever it might end up being, right. not necessarily just specifically for how fast can I get promoted? How fast can you get me into another conference room? No, 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 no. You stay focused on doing your job that you love really well to the benefit of other people. I'm going to go ahead and give you a promotion. I'm going to bring you to those meetings, all those things. <laughs> oh, man, Dink, listen. I could talk to you all night and there, there is no hyperbole in that, man. I, I feel the same, man. This is so good. <laughs> it is so good, man. Listen, I'm in Albuquerque right now in pre-production on uh, my next movie. Yeah. On the creation of Flaming Hot Cheetos, believe it or not. Uh, no way. Yeah, man. But when all this is over and I get done, man, when I'm, I'm dude, I, we gotta, we gotta just break some real bread. Seriously, Let's. man. Let's. I mean, you are just in, an inspiration to the world. I'm excited about your new book. And uh, definitely do everything I know I can to support it, man. Before we close, I just pray with every guest, man. So let me just pray with you real quick. Let's bro. do it. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, before the foundation of the earth. You knew that Dave, your son, was needed right now. We thank you, dear God, for, for the journey of freedom that you have allowed him to be on. And we thank you, dear God, for just continuing to reveal new depths and dimensions of who he is to him. I pray, dear God, that in the depths of his soul that you fill him up when he gets empty. I pray, dear Heavenly Father, that he would know that he is blessed and highly favored. I pray that he would know that his impact in the earth is just beginning to be felt. And I pray that he would know that his greater days are yet ahead. Bless everything that he does, every person he touches, every person he coaches, uh, every person who reads his book. Let them know that he is your son and you have given him great wisdom that can help, help unlock them and where you'd have them to go. Bless his family, bless his children. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So good. So good. <laughs> All right, I'm going to close today. on one more thing. Please. I got this uh, I got this little tattoo right here. Yes. It says, a ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships were built for. And it has been the mantra of these three years. This is uh, leaving my harbor at the Walt Disney Company until this day, today, and I got it. As a reminder, more than anything, to myself mm. and for anyone who would listen to me talk about how I have to remind myself that I am built for this. Yes. Because the decision to leave your safe harbor, the decision to chase freedom, the decision to become the person that you'd hope to become at the end of your life, it is a thing that will require that you continue to believe that you are built for the choppy waters mm. that will produce that version of who you're hoping to be, because you cannot become, you cannot fulfill the intention of our creator. You cannot become unless you're willing to, like a ship, go where you were actually wow. created to go. And so uh, it, it doesn't mean that there aren't going to be winds, high waves, you're going to get seasick <laughs> at times, of course, all those things, right? All those things going to happen, but got to keep on remembering that uh, I was built for this. And so were you. Dude, okay, well, give me the give me the quote again. I want to make sure I got it. Well, give me the quote. What a ship in harbor is safe. Yes, but that's not what ships were built for, right? We're like we're not built to stay inside the harbor. We are built to be out on that water. It's a it's a quote from a person named John Shedd. So, come on, a ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships were built for. Oh. Let's go though. Let's go though. Man, dude, I love you, and there is nothing you could do about it, bro. Oh, uh, man, I love you, you right man. back, man. Love Thank you right you. back.
Thank you. This is the best hour of the whole day, Devon. Come on. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Feeling is mutual, man. Thank you. Go All right. Ahead. Let's do it again. Let's for do sure. it again. We will. We will. We're going to do right. it for your book. Done. All right. Hey, thanks, everybody, for hanging out. This is so much fun. All right, dog. Be cool, man. Make sure they didn't burn their fingers on the s'mores, bro. Please. <laughs> I got to go check and make sure. I'm sure they only had the two that I suggested they could have. So, okay. So we're okay. okay. We're good. <laughs> All right, dog. Man. All right, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, dog. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of The Hollis Company.